Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. We hope you enjoyed listening to our wholesome episodes about Holst's military band suites. And if you did get a chance to listen to those, you'll recall we introduced a new instrument to the show, the euphonium. And also the saxophone. Maybe that'll be a different episode. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> So we said if we got enough emails from the euphonium players out there, we would do a deep dive into these elusive instruments. Well, it seems that our bait didn't catch any euphonium players per se, but we did get a very sweet email from a listener who was a trombonist, and they had fond memories of their rivals in the baritone section. As a side note, thank you very much, Kevin, for emailing us. We love to read what all of our listeners say. It's great. It's fantastic. And maybe this time we will inspire some euphonium players to email us. <laughs> what are the chances that any of our listeners are euphonium players? Um, well, if we have one whole band listening to us, two at least in one or 100? two. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Allison, one thing you mentioned just now was the baritones, baritone section. So not euphonium. So those different. Oh, good catch, Asa. We'll get into that distinction in just a little bit. But often these two instruments, the baritone or the euphonium, can be interchangeable. So overall, the euphonium is a pretty modern instrument. It wasn't around during the Baroque or Classical eras, and most of the early Romantic era either. However, brass instruments certainly did exist back then. It's thought that the euphonium's roots can be traced back to a brass instrument called the serpent. Oh. Ooh, spooky. This was essentially a long, conical length of tubing that instead of winding around itself in a compact little ball like our modern brass instruments, it actually zigzagged back and forth like a snake. So this instrument also had valves and uh, allowed for ease of playing the notes. If you're listening to this and don't have an idea of what that might look like, please Google it. It's wild. Um, <laughs> it's the search for serpent horn. Otherwise, you'll just find pictures of snakes. <laughs> Or alternatively, if you don't want to Google, just picture a snake and then put a brass mouthpiece right. on it. Right. <laughs> I think I've seen that in some uh, Looney Tunes cartoon somewhere. <laughs> Played a snake like a horn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And while it was weird and wonderful in shape and size, the serpent was not a very practical instrument and also not terribly in tune. So a better instrument was designed by Jean Hilaire Ast. This instrument was the Ophiclede and was produced in 1817. Ooh, I like how you pronounce that Ophiclede. The Ophiclede? It sounds very German when you say Ophiclede. 
To be honest, it is a straight guess. I thought it was Offaclyde. Offaclyde? Well, let's see if Google has any insights. <laughs> off you're right. It is Offaclyde, according to Wikipedia. Yay. That's one point for Allison in the pronunciation point. war. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Offaclyde it is. Like its predecessor, the Ophiclide was a conical brass instrument and it also had valves. It was actually part of a whole series of keyed bugles that asked patented and was the lowest of this bugle family. And with this instrument, the quote baritone brass range was becoming more popular with composers. And we see this actually written into scores by Mendelssohn and Berlioz. However, the Ophiclide was also quite difficult to play. It did, in fact, have keys rather than the modern piston valves we see on brass instruments today. If you're trying to picture this um, and don't want to try to spell that word, picture a modern baritone saxophone um, with keyed valves, but just less of them. And with a brass mouthpiece yet again. And with a brass mouthpiece yes, <laughs> yet again. Just picture anything we say. With a brass yes, mouthpiece. With a brass mouthpiece, especially <laughs> snakes. So, <laughs> so, of course, after these difficulties, a more perfect instrument was still highly sought after. And it arrived soon after, somewhere in the 1830s or 1840s. It's a bit unclear of who actually invented the said instrument, or euphonium, as we're talking about. Some credit Karl Moritz, who was a German instrument maker, and he's already credited with advancements in kettle drum production, and his father had been the inventor of the tuba. So it stands to reason that he would scale down that tuba into the euphonium, which is sometimes cutely known as a mini tuba. <laughs> By people not in the know. Mm -hmm. However, it could have also originated for a far more well-known instrument maker, Adolf Sax. Now that name might sound familiar, and of course it is, because Sax famously invented the namesake saxophone, but he experimented with several other instruments as well. If this is the true history of the euphonium, it would have had a short-lived predecessor from Sax, known as the Saxhorn. Regardless of who actually invented the instrument, the finishing touches on the design were made in 1874, David Blakely. Blakely was an employee at Boozy & Company, which was an instrument manufacturer and is now a music publisher. And since the time of 1874, there have been very few modern innovations, but largely the current euphonium design has remained the same. So as we mentioned earlier, the euphonium is based on some older conical brass instruments. Conical is important. This, of course, means the tubing gets ever so slightly larger as you go down the length until you reach the bell, where it really flares out. So this gives it a warm yet projecting sound. However, the baritone is not conical. Rather, it is a cylindrical instrument, meaning the tubing is the same diameter the whole way until you reach the bell. The acoustics of this mean the same notes can be played, but the tone is brighter and more cutting than the euphonium, which can be important in some circumstances. However, the distinction in a whole band may be negligible, especially with talented players, and so that's why they're often, but not always, to be clear, interchangeable <laughs> in the concert band setting. 
And speaking of a concert band setting, honestly, who's not speaking of a concert band setting? Um, what role Beethoven. does this... <laughs> True. Mozart. Oh, okay. I Actually, I think both of them did write military band marches. Military, not concert band settings. Okay, fair. But for that matter, Holst was also, to quote, a military band Fair enough. Also fair band. enough. Hmm. So, the debate rages on. Speaking anyway. of concert band setting, who is speaking about concert band? As it turns out, almost nobody. <laughs> but those who are, they want to know, what role does the euphonium serve in the band? And of course, that is, it serves in the baritone range. It can't quite go as low as a tuba, which is, of course, in the bass, but it usually could stand in for a tuba in a pinch. It also can't go quite as high as a trumpet, but it can still play well into the treble clef, usually about an octave above middle C. So, as our kind listener pointed out in their email, it kind of puts the euphonium right in the same range as a trombone. So it's good for both background harmonies and foreground melodies, men able to blend in or cut through as needed. One might argue that it's easier to play the euphonium than the trombone due to the valves, rather than memorizing slide positions. However, due to the lack of euphonium parts in most of the classical canon, trombone is still often the more popular instrument, and often professional euphonium players do double on trombone. One of the things that I should also mention is that the strong directionality of the trombone can make it extremely present in a lot of cases. Um, whereas the euphonium has a really easy time to blend into the overall color of the band. Mm-hmm. Very acute observation, Asa. So in our modern era, the euphonium is definitely gaining popularity. There are pieces that are actually being commissioned for the instrument in order to expand the repertoire, and of course, it is so, so very necessary in the band world. So thank you very much for joining us for this short little dive into the euphonium as wonderful an instrument it is. Um, we might do more of these as organically as we talk about pieces and of composers and perhaps little mini series like we did with Holst. If it comes up, let us know what you'd want to see. Uh, and email us, coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. We love reading your mail and we wish we got more of it <laughs> <laughs> the mailbox is developing cobwebs and we need some mail to clear it out we need some mail to overcome the mail that we do get mostly about invoices and nigerian princes needing payments on those invoices no matter how much i give they continue to return <laughs> they're in dire straits Help those Nigerian princes send us emails. Remember, though, it's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> it's not a pyramid scheme, even though it might seem like it when we ask you to share this podcast with like-minded friends or family members. If you enjoy what you see, what you heard or colleagues, for that matter, leave us <laughs> reviews on iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Those are always appreciated. Yes. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you might like to try the outro this time. Oh, all right. S space it up a little bit. This yep. is probably a very short-lived stint that I'll have as the outro sayer. Um, for the pod coffee cast house. <laughs> Isn't that how you do it, Asa? That's how I usually do it in the first take, but we'll take it <laughs> as is for this time. 
All right. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Allison. And I'm Asa. Thank you so much for listening. The Euphonium Sonata by Elaine Fine was performed by Charlie Brighton and Malcolm Stowell. The second suite for Military Band by Gustav Holst was performed by the Air Combat Command Heritage of America Band. You can find The Coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Music